I'm not wearing enough rouge for that. This has taken an odd turn. All of which is cold comfort for the viewer. We never thought of this. We're sorry. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's not having that rifle. It would scare our customers away. <laughs> I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of that, eh? Uh, you've already got it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't mind You've got mind the it. whole thing. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I'm very happy about oh, it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, I am too. I love seeing you in very modern... I actually... I see you far more often in much more revealing... Like, you walk out of the house in much more revealing outfits than Edwardian pornography. You are you are very correct. Although, like, when you were, like, saying that, I was like, I never leave the house without being fully clothed. Like, I don't know what <laughs> right. kind of lies you're about to tell our listeners. <laughs> right. But you're not... Oh, yeah. You're not Edwardian fully Oh, clothed. no. Like, lots of, uh, lots of cleavage. Right. You know, the busty ladies listening to this podcast are well aware... That if you have breasts that are larger than a double D cup, if you try to wear something that looks modest, you somehow look even pornier. <laughs> uh, a distinction my mother did not appreciate. Well, but, uh, you know, I was like, Mom, it's either look slutty or look fat, and I know which one pays better. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's slutty. <laughs> right. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah. This is... Season two, episode three of Mr. Selfridge. That it is. Starring the Jeremy Piven, who <laughs> continues to nail it. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's nailing it. Absolutely. Uh, but before we dive into our recap, we do have our cousin of the week. Ooh. This week's cousin of the week is Cousin Scott, who writes, Hi, Cousins Kelly and Tom. I have just listened to the first two Selfridge podcasts back to back, given that the first PBS episode was a double. You referred to Mr. Thackeray in the first episode as Elfin and as possibly gay in the second. I think he bears a resemblance to Rene Abergenois from the TV sitcom Benson, who played an officious and not clearly gay assistant to Benson, Clayton Endicott III. Regardless of his sexuality, with a name like Thackeray and such a cartoonish demeanor, he really needs a nickname. Your Elfin reference led me instantly to Keebler. His ears <laughs> certainly are not obscured by his hairstyle. Also, I am very pleased that we now have a new Gordon. Since you have fake Doris, you can't have fake Gordon. Hence, new Gordon. <laughs> Perhaps against all odds, new Gordon has actually developed into a non-annoying, somewhat compelling character. And he can take a punch, too. No Brady Bunch, ow, my nose, line for him. <laughs> I do think Gordon will be the motivation for Mr. Selfridge to get himself together and set a good example. I'm looking for Rose to be the bad role model this season, which will be great fun to watch. Your Kentucky cousin, Scott. Well, first and foremost, Keebler, brilliant. Yeah, no, that's exactly, exactly I, the sort I of thing I was looking for. I had a vague thought, probably in the shower, where I did most <laughs> of my thinking, that we ought to call him something. Right. I mean, Thackeray well, is fun to say. Yeah, but I've... You know, and I mean, well done on eyeliner on that front. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that Thackeray, but I've, you know, I've known that there was something, something there, and yeah. that's, that's pretty it's solid. Perfect. It's yeah. great. I would also say that, uh, and just because we happened to be talking about this last week, but I suddenly realized as you were reading that, another person that he then reminds me of is, uh, what's his name from Ugly Betty? What's his name? Mark. Mark. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. Uh-huh. Played by Michael uh, Yuri, I think is his name. Uri? Okay. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like I'm not sure how you pronounce the name of Rene Abergenois. <laughs> right. But 
He was the voice of uh, Louis the Chef in The Little Mermaid. Oh. And he also, for my musical theater peeps, where are you? <laughs> uh, he played the role of Buddy in Cy Coleman's City of Angels. Probably one of my top five favorite musicals of all time. Good to know. If you're into Golden Age Hollywood and noir, I yeah. highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, yeah, great guy. He was a really celebrated uh, theater and uh, television actor. Well, all right. I didn't know he was on Benson. I didn't know I that I feel either. like he also might have been on Sesame Sesame Street. I think he played Mr. Noodle. I I can't. Parents deny can it. correct me or back me up on this. Uh, that might have been a different guy. Well, yeah. Well, and Benson is one of those shows. Benson and Silver Spoon and Amen and about a dozen others, all of which I saw one episode of mm-hmm. at some point in my childhood. Golden Girls, even. Oh man, you know, yeah. I feel like I haven't seen enough Golden Girls. Honestly, I think that's fair. Well, we watched. Considering that one. <laughs> what a brassy dame I am, you certainly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we watched one one time in my you know in my adult life that one where she's a stand up comedian. Oh well, I know what we're doing on vacation. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, FYI, cousins. I don't know what, if any, bearing this would have on anything. <laughs> right. Uh, presumably none. Well, hopefully. Yeah, but we're recording this podcast and in the next episode uh, a bit early. Right. Because we are actually going on vacation. Yeah. Like a real ass vacation. Oh, yeah. Which we almost never do. Yeah, like grown-ups with a hotel that has a spa in it, possibly. Yeah, like, man. It's, it's going to yeah. be fancy. There's going to be a beach. Yeah. Yeah, and a restaurant, probably. Well, I'm, I'm hoping several restaurants. Well, you know. Since we're there for several days. <laughs> Dare to dream. Yeah. And uh, plenty of tropical cocktails. Indeed, yes. So uh, we're going to Hawaii because <laughs> we know you're going to ask. <laughs> right. No, and uh, yeah, but you guys are so great. I yeah. just want to put that out there. I No, I agree. I, I don't know why I'm suddenly feeling so... I, you know, I went to the gym today. Oh, yeah, you got I'm those, feeling very high on endorphins. endorphins. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, I had feeling, a burrito earlier. Like You're just feeling very generous towards things humanity. Are, things are going my way. Yeah, but it's, it's our cousins that make it worth cramming this podcast in <laughs> prior to our vacation. Yeah, and just into our daily lives. Well, right. <laughs> that, that's, that is also true, yeah. Uh, yeah, you guys are fantastic. Yes. Uh, and... You know, your your constant interactions on Facebook and Twitter give our lives a sense of purpose and meaning. <laughs> That's right. That may sound sad, but it's not. It's not the only thing, but it is one of the things. It's definitely one of them. Yes. The other thing is all new episodes of Archer on FX. <laughs> oh, and the Americans. How, how much did they pay us for that? They paid us zero dollars. <laughs> a lot less than you'd think. That's the thing. I'm so willing to sell out. Oh, yeah. And yet no one's approached me. Right. Cousins, do you work in a viral marketing department for some major corporation? Would you like a shill? (laughs) If so, we want to have the name of your manager email to us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's enough begging for money. (laughs) For now. For now. For now. We should have a pledge drive. I guess we should. It seems to work quite well for PBS. Well, yeah, but you know, they have like endless hours of programming and we've only got like this you know one to three they've got endless hours that they you know stole from britain (laughs) (laughs) it's just revenge for the colonial era oh that's fair yeah all right let's see what eyeliner hath wrought that's right speaking of things stolen from britain uh so mr selfridge episode three starts off (laughs) 
Best theme song. Yeah. Come on. Seriously? It's fantastic. So good. Yeah. No, and I knew because I remembered from last season that I had it stuck in my head throughout the entire time that we were podcasting it. Oh, it's so good. And the time has come again to, you know, boogie. No, man. Yeah. Edwardian. Grizzly bear. That's right. Let's grizzly bear it up. We will. Uh, But first... We see an ominous sight. It is a tiger. That is never ominous to me. I'm like, Richard Parker, what's up? (laughs) Yeah. Life of Pi. Yes. Well, and also, we know full well that there's not, in fact, a wild tiger loose. I don't appreciate whoever directed this episode. Eyeliner, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Right. I don't think it was. I don't even think he does anything. (laughs) I think he just kind of points at stuff. Well, much like Mr. Selfridge himself. I don't even know what he sounds like. That's right. I mean, we've seen it, but it's been so well, long. Well, but I we also don't, don't feel like we really have a good grasp on what Julian Fellows sounds like. Actually, you're right. And he doesn't like, he looks, why do I know what he looks like? I guess we've, well, we've, we've watched yeah. various featurettes. And we've thought about it more. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we'll figure out what eyeliner sounds like in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, impressions to come. But in the meantime, it's, you know, a dead tiger, as you're all aware. It's a, stu- it was a magnificently taxidermy tiger. Yeah. And like, I say that as somebody who's pretty vehemently anti-taxidermy. Yes. But whoever did this did a good job. It's in, a, you know, full, like, snarling mode. We see Agnes arranging some plants around said tiger uh, and dressing up some mannequins who, by the way, the woman mannequin has a lot of rouge on. But you so know what? It makes, clearly... it makes a certain amount of sense because we talked in the last episode that, you know, the, the women are finally allowed to admit that they're wearing right, rouge. So right. they're like, whoa! Yeah. Kind of like in the 80s when blue eyeshadow got really big after you kind of came off <laughs> the 60s and 70s where a nude lid was more popular. Right. I think it's just, you know, it's a trend. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like how in the 90s we were all wearing those ridiculously baggy pants. And then, in, you <laughs> we, know. We were. It actually took a long time for the skinny jean to take off, comparatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Anyway, fashion is cyclical. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> and it's also, again, like if you're trying to move rouge, you want to make sure that your mannequins in their fashionable outfits. And have, also that your employees. And you well, can right. see this on display at any Sephora or Mac counter. I um, believe you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, we got to have a whole episode where I just talk about makeup. Oh, well, I'm sure we could. I know. And you know what? After we're done with Selfridge, God knows we might. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The history of makeup. <gasps> you guys, you guys, you guys. <laughs> uh, anyway, point is, Miss Taller is stressed out. Dude, I totally appreciate this scene, though. Yeah. As a lady who works and has a very demanding job and another very demanding job, kind of on top of that job, on top of a podcast, I <laughs> only ever make that face. <laughs> right. That's the only <laughs> face I ever make. <laughs> Cut to bustling city streets. FT is Fat Thomas. <laughs> You can leave that in. In our show notes, FT stands for Fat Thomas. I'm like, what does that mean? Uh, anyway, Fat Thomas walks past a sign saying that the Empire Exhibition starts the following week. Right. Inside the store, uh, apparently fake Doris's brother wants to join the cavalry, which is stupid. Yeah. Well, they have such nice uniforms, apparently. Uh, did they have? They did have a cavalry. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Had, I mean, they had a cavalry in World War Two. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Jesse's flirting with Igor and then Fat Thomas pulls him away and snaps at him and is like, why don't you ever do your job? And we're like, we could ask the same of you, Fat Thomas. <laughs> That's right. 
Palm Court, like, is anybody getting served? <laughs> They're all just up there acting out a drama in three courses called Waiting for Entrees. Anyway, Kitty then suddenly... Out of nowhere. You know, she's been present for all the conversation. And right. is like, you know, oh, we were just being patriotic, Mr. Caliano. But I suppose you wouldn't care being Italian. And we're like... Was what? this a thing? We Was have, this a thing? We have watched, and I do not flatter us, <laughs> at least half a dozen things that are set either in the lead up to, during, or immediately after World War II. Now, World we, War One, yes. Look. <laughs> Moving I on. I was on a roll. Yeah. Uh, we know from the Dowager Countess and also a bit of A Room with a View, the sort of weird, exotic disdain right. that Britons had for Italians. Right. We're fine with that. That yeah. seems reasonable. Uh, but like... Well, and let's... We'll, we'll put a pin in that because for right now, if that was all that this was, then Kitty is just taking a chance to make fun of Italians which is, as far as she's concerned, an English pastime. And, and to that extent, this isn't out of line with what we've seen before. But this plot line is not over yet. Yeah, so we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, upstairs, Crab asks Plunkett if a parcel has come for him. Free blankets up! <laughs> that's right. Uh, we can't. Maybe that's what's in the parcel. It's blankets <laughs> up. <laughs> They've smuggled her back at last. <laughs> she jumps out and just karate chops Plunkett. She's like, like, that's my appointments, Ledger, bitch. You win this round, Blankensop. Oh, and, and then she, they like, have a whole rivalry. Of smoke. Yeah, and then she goes over to Harrods. Oh. <gasps> Eyeliner, we know you're listening. <laughs> that's right. We know you are. Make it so. He also asks if Plunkett has seen Grove, and she says, does anybody ever see Mr. Grove? Which, you know what? That's a begrudging boom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then some guy comes out of Harry's office. Uh, it is apparently a Mr. Ridley, who is one of their bankers or something like that. Uh, Crab is concerned. He's like, hey, we're doing fine with the money these days. But apparently Mr. Ridley is concerned that if there is a war, then nobody will shop anymore. Uh, Harry said that that's not true, because what else are you going to say? But, you know, that's there's a concern. And then he's like, hey, uh, what does Mr. Grove think about all this? And they both look at each other and look at the floor and look at the ceiling and so on. He's like, he's not even here. And so he goes to Mr. Groh's office, which he apparently has not gone in in the last few months. Which, if he knew that his performance was slipping, I find highly suspect. Right. And beyond that... Just on as a matter of routine, you'd right. think you'd be stopping in. I mean, it's literally, it's the closest I office say, to Harry's. It's also extremely possible for a subordinate to avoid a manager and them coming into their office if that's what the subordinate wants. All right. I mean, you have to work really hard. All right. Harder than it seems like Mr. Grove is currently <laughs> prepared to do. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, it can happen. I, I don't know exactly how that works. Right. Because I have an open floor plan, <laughs> right. which is actually really good for never seeing anyone <laughs> um surprisingly yeah uh, but anyway goes in there and he sees you know mr gross office it, you know it looks like where they're keeping the ark of the covenant basically <laughs> at this point. so yeah he's got that nice stained glass on there though that's true it's nicer than our apartment <laughs> <sighs> the loxleys are having breakfast 
Lord Loxley is eating his very evilly. <laughs> uh, Pimble comes in and asks Lord Loxley if they'll fight the Germans. This is an egregious, egregious breach of etiquette before the war. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we were very angry at Pimble. Yeah, and I mean, just like, you know that this is the world's biggest jerk. No, she hates this guy. Right. And like, why wouldn't you just ask Lady May? Yeah. She's up on current events. Yeah. She reads the Daily Sketch. And she's why literally the only person you ever talk about. <laughs> well, for that matter, yeah. When she's done with it. Can she read? I don't know what Pimble gets up to. <laughs> anyway, uh, he won't tell her anything about it. Uh, and then Pimble Pimble's off somewhere. <laughs> and May says she just wanted a little reassurance. Why not give it to her? And he says uh, it's because he's evil. <laughs> right. Evil. He, he pretty much literally yeah. says that. May then stands up and leaves. And he's like, where are you going? And she's like, anywhere but here. And he's like, you're not Natalie Portman. <laughs> uh, anyway, she gets into her room and then leans against the wall, like fighting back tears, trying to keep herself together. This is very hard to watch, everyone. Yeah, it is. This is not – I said to somebody on Twitter, actually, because they were like – we had said something about this season being markedly – superior to the previous one mm-hmm. i think they don't have all those damn kids actually as part of well, it well yeah uh, <laughs> although their presence is going to be felt later <laughs> uh no but it's like you know it's nothing so shocking as anna getting raped but mm-hmm. like there's just this this is this is upsetting i mean this is a violation of lady may as a person yeah it it's, is it's not well, and it's in certain ways worse than Anna's situation mm-hmm. because she can't leave. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no respite. Yeah. There's no escape. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Unless she wants to go, you know, find Ellen Love and do a double act. <laughs> Which I, you know, I don't think that the producers are knocking down Ellen Love's door anymore, but hey, what do I know? They could call it jilted ladies. <laughs> Down in the loading bay at Selfridges, uh, Laurel and Hardy are looking at something rather conspiratorially, and New Gordon comes up. He's like, hey, what's going on over here? Uh, and it is like pornographic playing cards or postcards. It would in at least in like my first or second grade class, it would have been playing cards. Right, exactly. Uh, if you were really savvy, it would have been that pen where if you turn it, then oh. the clothes fall off. Like, Listen, I remember when G.W. Wharton brought that to school. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't get it. Right. I don't understand men's obsession with naked women. I mean, I, well, yeah, I. No, I mean, I. Look, I think it may be a gender thing. It's, it's. it's part, <laughs> I know that's shocking. Right. Well, it's partly a gender thing. It's also partly a, you know, again, Edwardian England, Catholic parochial school. Yeah, that's like, true. These environments, you know, you've only got. Well, but even then, I was I was listening to this thing today, and this guy was like singing a supposedly comedic song about what it would be like if he woke up as a woman, and I think it was about waking up as a woman, like having been a man. He was like, "Oh yeah, we just like stand over a mirror for hours and like play with my boobs." I'm like, mm. you know, we don't do that, right? Well, I think like we had to fight right. really hard to look at our vaginas in the 70s. <laughs> it was tough. I, I understand. Although I would say, I would imagine. I, you know, I don't know. I would think that if you were to wake up as a man, you would spend your for the first day or two, you'd be that's very true. interested in your genitalia. I guess that's true. This has taken an odd turn. Look, <laughs> so this is not the hot chick starring Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> 
If only that was set in Edwardian England. Oh, man, we would review the fuck out of it. We really would. I wish we were independently wealthy, because then I would make that movie. Yes. Ye old hot chick. <laughs> starring ye old Rob Schneider. The hot... I don't know. What would be the Edwardian term for chick? <sighs> Not bird. Right. There's got to be something. There's got to be something. The, well, hot, the hot crumpet? That would be, you know, that would be our first, you know, research session right yeah. there. So, uh, let's get this crowdfunded. <laughs> right. Kickstarter. Ha-ha! <laughs> um, we wouldn't do that to you, cousins. Back to the pornography. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think I was talking about? <laughs> right. Uh, so, New Gordon comes up and is like, oh, wow, look at that. And they're like, oh, yeah, right? You can see, like, her whole shoulder and everything. And they're like, damn. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this woman is wearing more... You're right. She's wearing more clothes than I wear. Right. She's wearing more clothes than I'm currently wearing. Right. And I'm wearing a lot of clothes. It's true. I don't want to alarm anyone. <laughs> uh, anyway, so New Gordon was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm into chicks. You know whatever. what? And, yeah. I thought he played it off, and I think he right. wanted to look at those chicks. Right, he did. And then when the manager is like, hey, what's going on over here? They kind of shove him into New Gordon's hands, and he very calmly just, like, tucks him in his pocket as he turns around. Is like, oh, nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. And and I agreed. I was like, you know what? Way to fit in on the staff floor there. No, and, like, this is what Mr. Selfridge means about working your way up from the bottom. You mm-hmm. think he wasn't looking at pornographic postcards <laughs> back in the... Back God, in okay. Chicago. Yeah, so wait, what... Okay, so he's in his, like, mid-40s now, say. Right. And it's 1914. Right. So he started... In his teens. So we're saying 30 years ago? Yeah. So that'd be 1884. Oh God! Yeah, that's like post Civil War it's pornography. A, like I don't even. I just imagine it's just all saloon girls. <laughs> just no matter what like, region of the country you live in, it's well, all Deadwood all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was Chicago, which is where uh, Al Swearengen got his start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, they knew the flesh trade in Chicago. <laughs> And I presume they still do. Cousins, <laughs> do you live in Chicago? Are you part of the flesh trade? If so, we want to hear your story. <laughs> Anonymity guaranteed. I love that this show on PBS has inspired this conversation. <laughs> yeah. If Carmen San Diego could see us now. Miss <laughs> Taller is showing Mr. Selfridge her plans for the Empire exhibition, and she's telling him that fashion will have a Raj exhibition and she set up a small sample of what she's planning to do. They're in the elevator and they step out into the fashion section. Uh, but it's all kimonos and parasols, which unless Miss Teller is staggeringly racist and stupid, <laughs> right. does not adequately represent the Raj. Keebler. Hey, hey, uh, Keebler. Keebler. Yeah. It's not even in the show notes. I know. It's so new. Keebler pops out from behind a mannequin and claims that he thought the display had been left there by some kind of mentally disabled chimpanzee. <laughs> uh, so he got rid of it. Oh, and this is just. Yeah. It's so. He just basically took this, you know, workplace tension and made it go nuclear. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, spoiler alert, by the end of the episode, not going to be happy about what he has wrought. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so Mr. Selfridge, sensing the tension and attempting to uh, diffuse it in such a way uh, as to not make anyone upset. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, he knows that Miss Teller is not the proactive one in this particular conflict. Right. So he suggests that they move the Raj 
exhibit to the palm court. Right. But they get to the palm court, and Fat Thomas will not have the Raj exhibit because that tiger and the rifle are going to terrify his customers. Right. Which, like, really? Were people in Edwardian times that afraid of everything? Like, they didn't <laughs> even have, like, penicillin, right? <laughs> right. Like, aren't aren't these customers the ones that are, you know, supposed to go, like, tame those tigers when duty calls or whatever? I don't know, man. Right. Read their read your Kipling, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Take up your burden, white man. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like an Italian. <laughs> Downstairs, kind of in the main shop floor, Crab is looking at his watch worriedly as Grove walks in. Harry sees him and says that he is late, and Grove makes some weak-ass excuse about being caught in a peace rally or something like that. You know what? If you're going to show up late to work, you better have an ironclad excuse. Yeah. I once faked a car accident, <laughs> and I cut the shit out of my knee with a pair of nail scissors so it would be convincing that I hit my knee on my ashtray. That is... That's... Yeah. I mean, Grove is not that dedicated. No, clearly. I don't do that anymore. Well, right. I'm a grown-up now. Yeah. But Jesus. Yeah. Come on. I just... I don't know. I don't have any patience for it. Right. Uh, nor does Mr. Selfridge. But for the moment... He is uh, examining the shop floor. Uh, Kitty says good morning, and Agnes explains what's going to be going on at the cosmetics display. Kitty wants to make sure that it will be very bright and colorful, and Agnes is like, yes, people are going to see you. <laughs> then Harry's like, what about accessories? And as they walk over to accessories, Miss Martle is back. <gasps> Miss Martle! We're all very happy. We are, well, except kind of for Miss Martle. Well, right. Her brother did die, and so everybody is appropriately... Yeah, they buried him in Geneva, and I'm like, what was your brother's deal? How that- did he get there? It's rather, he seems to have been an interesting chap. Indeed. From what little we can gather. Chocolate magnate. (laughs) He was the Willy Wonka of Switzerland. (laughs) So there were like fair wages and uh, equitable gender conditions. Right. He's like, listening. I'm laying the groundwork for some stolen Nazi gold. I know the Nazis don't exist yet, but I've got a hunch. I've been watching Downton Abbey. (laughs) Those guys with the brown shirts. They're going to be big. Right. Get things done. You know, Marge Schott got raked over the coals for saying less. Right. Let me let me say, as somebody that is currently reading a book about World War II, the Nazis were actually wildly inefficient and bumbling. That's true. Moving on. They then ask, well, so what's your plan for the accessories display, Agnes? And Agnes has not come up with an idea for accessories. Her former department. Yeah. Miss Martle is rightly upset. Yeah, WTF. She just buried her brother. She's like, seriously, you're going to give that ginger bitch a whole thing over there? That and... is almost exactly what she says. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, Grove, I think, is like, uh, you know, it's only, it's less than a week because there's a bank holiday on Monday. You know, and Harry's like, oh, you, you can get it all done. It's going to be fine. By the way, Mr. Grove, come to my office right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dad's mad. <laughs> Up in his office, Harry says that he's very disappointed in Mr. Grove's performance, and he asks how many male staff they have. And Mr. Grove kind of bumbles about, this has made certain things clear to me about my performance at work. (laughs) Uh, But he was like, why don't you know this? And Mr. Grove is like, uh, 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 uh." so he takes a wild guess, but he's off by about 100. Yeah. And Mr. Selfridge is like, shape up or ship out, buddy. This is your final warning. Yeah. Yeah, we went from zero to final warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that's how bad he's been slacking. Yeah. So, you know, good. Yeah. We hate that ginger. That's right. And his stupid new hair. <sighs> I don't even feel like we should call it new. Like, it's like his true hair finally manifests. <laughs> 
Right. Ever since he betrayed Miss Martle. Exactly. It's like his hair was like, I shall no longer be denied. Yeah, it's like the picture of Dorian's hair. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Look, I don't really know what that book is about. <laughs> right. Everybody's always talking about it. Right. Like that guy's real young and then his picture's around? Something like that. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that about sums it up. Yeah. Oscar Wilde, man. Yeah. What a poet. <laughs> Buff Oscar Wilde. Uh, so... <laughs> At Selfridge House, Fraser shows Harry in. It's the first Fraser Fraser sighting. Despite the fact that he's in 20 episodes credited right. on IMDb. Yeah. So, but he, uh, yeah. what the Fraser? <laughs> Fraser? Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. Like Brazier. No? Like Fraser. Like. Oh, like Jamie Fraser from the Outlander books, which you know by my nickname for them, the Nipple Rape books. That That is how I know them. At Selfridge House. <laughs> Uh, Rose is not there, but Harry does have a visitor. <gasps> it's it Monsieur Leclerc. <gasps> yeah. Oh, you guys. Is, there's a big dramatic there's reveal. There's no hobo beard. That's right. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you guys, that's only a fraction of what I did when he... I can't... You can't... The fire in my loins for this man. You can't even imagine... It cannot be tamed. ...what Kelly went through by my side... Throughout throughout the whole episode, I'm like just it wasn't glad just this first that sighting. You are so secure in our relationship. Oh yeah, like I have aunts that I can't imagine even watching a single episode of Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman with their husbands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But like, you're fine with it because we both know that this guy would never even look at a troll like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's also more that he's like fictional and all that sort of thing. Oh yeah, totally. He is. Oh, you think that that's how that person looks in real life? Mm, he looks probably still pretty good. Oh, I'm sure he still you looks You can't mess good. with a foundation like no, no, that. No. Don't get me wrong. Very attractive dude, I have no doubt. Like, it's mostly his face. Yeah, no, it's no, no. Not the, it's not the fancy clothes or the hair. It's just, oh. All right. <sighs> you guys. He's so attractive. He's very attractive. We all agree on that. Even Harry, who is very glad to see him, of course. Leclerc says that he just came to apologize to Rose for having behaved badly to her the other day. Uh, <laughs> I wish he'd brought that pokey. <laughs> you see, you see what I have to put up with? The poking kid. Uh, Harry. <gasps> this is also the scene where we see the charcoal drawings of the Selfridge children. Yes. And the one of Beatrice. <laughs> I'm like, like, are you listening to are the podcast? You, no, are you Reagan because, from The Exorcist? Well, because there's two that we see. We see the one of Rosalie that just looks like Rosaline is very normal and fine. And then there's Beatrice, who is like... I honestly think they did it from her IMDb headshot, which is her in full, like, you know, the ring mode. <laughs> because, I mean, that's, she got her start in, like, scary child movies. Oh, all right. I mean, well. And, but it's just, it's like all of her hair and her eyes are like, <gasps> yeah. Like, are, well, then even the style, like, it's done in, like, darker lines. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's coming for you, Selfridge. Right. When there are shots in this she's scene. She's coming for your soul. Where that picture is right over Monsieur Leclerc shoulder and it's just like ah yeah talk about a song of ice and fire <laughs> she's the fire <laughs> right because of satan <laughs> anyway harry tries to get Henri to smoke some of his cigars but Henri's like i don't need your charity cigars <laughs> um but he says that he's he's sorry for how things ended 
he says that you know he he did it all wrong and he's lost his creative director and his friend neither of which have been replaceable and then Leclerc is like, you must not know about me. You must not know about me. Except he's not, because that's not what's going on here. Right. Well, and what he does is he says... I could have another you in a minute. <laughs> he says, is that an apology from the famous Mr. Selfridge? And what Harry does not say is yes. <laughs> what he says is, what do you want me to do, beg? And it was like, no, he was actually looking for an apology. Yeah, he really... Which you, um, you have not yet yeah. offered. I mean, uh, look, I wouldn't either. Well, sure. If it was me. Uh, in any case, Harry asks him to come back to the store, and uh, Monsieur Leclerc declines. Uh, Harry describes how he's having all these problems, and all his staff are fighting, and all this sort of thing. And Leclerc still doesn't care until... He mentions Miss Tower. Mm-hmm. Oh, he lights up like a Christmas tree made of cigars. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, well, if you had said Miss Tower was involved. Yeah. I also just want to point out, I don't think you can be best friends with somebody who is your creative director. I just don't think you can. I, I, I Because think then right. as soon as, look, clearly, as soon as it was convenient for him to not be his best friend, he was like, we're not best friends anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, look look at Smash. Like, mm-hmm. they couldn't stay best friends. Sorry, I'm just... I don't even throw. know who you're talking about. Who? Uh, uh, cousin Debbie? Yeah, and Cousin that Debbie that guy? And, and what's his name? Yeah. Emmett from Legally Wand? <laughs> sure. Uh, anyway, uh, R.I.P. Smash. Yeah. Fat Thomas sets out an advertisement for Geo's restaurant, which... So is he, like, working two jobs, essentially? Yes. This has not been explained well. Right. Anyway, he sets out the, uh, it's like a sandwich board. Yeah, yeah. And then he sees that someone has painted Italians out on their shutters. Right. And this is again. Again, is that a thing? Right. Like, it's not like they're Irish. Right. Well, and we'll, you know, we'll say that, I, I'll say that at the time, Italy was allied technically with Germany and Austria. But when the war started, Italy didn't go to war and Italy eventually came in on the British side. But, you know, I just... No, and I mean, we've we, looked it up. We've tried to look it up, yeah. And all we could find was anti-Italian sentiment in World War II in Britain. Right. Because that makes sense. Right. Uh, yeah, so if you are a historian, mm-hmm. or just casually happen to know... Yeah. We're very curious, because it, it just seems like an odd thing, although... After seeing how convoluted that whole union conversation was, oh uh, yeah, you know, maybe yeah, right. maybe eyeliner has a bit more in common with Baron Julian than we thought. <laughs> like you know, nobody really hated Italians, right? He's like, eyeliner has spoken. <laughs> I wrote Pride and Prejudice. Like, listen, I hate Italians. That's good enough for me. Mister Darcy was my idea. <laughs> he wasn't. I gave him that shirt. <laughs> I made that pawn. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, it is breakfast time at Selfridge House. Harry tells Rose, who was apparently out late last night doing unspecified things, presumably with Delphine. I mean, I don't know. Uh, and so I've t- seen Tipping the Velvet. I know what's up. <laughs> right. Uh, so he, he tells her that Leclerc had come by, and he then thanks Rose for finding him. And says that he was wrong to chastise her for having gone to see him and, in fact, does apologize, which he didn't do to Henri. He's, he does say he's sorry. And Rose well, to be like, fair, he isn't trying to have sex with Henri. That is an excellent point. Rose is like, fucking, I don't care, whatever. And New Gordon, who is there, uh, gets up and leaves at this marital tension. I'll tell you 
do I miss? Old Ma Selfridge. Yeah. She knew how to smooth over an awkward breakfast like nobody's business. That is an excellent point. She was like butter <laughs> on a stack of delicious pancakes. <laughs> or possibly a stack of pancakes that were having marital problems. <laughs> So out in the front hall, uh, Rose catches up with new Gordon and she's like, oh, well, we didn't mean to fight in front of you. And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. Like, were you there? <laughs> Was he there? Yeah. Were you like, let's fight? Yes, you were. Yeah. Uh, new Gordon points out to her that Harry's trying to make things right, but then the porn falls right out of his jacket. <laughs> right in front of his mom. <laughs> Old eyeliner's got a wicked sense of humor. Yeah. And it's like, dude, new Gordon, f- first rule of pornography, keep it away from your mother. Also, like, know where it is. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's it's 10 a.m. Do you know where your pornography is? Hey, yeah, you oh, better. in the pocket of the jacket I'm putting on? Don't be shaking it around for emphasis. Right. I mean, I understand it was the olden days. You couldn't, you know, clear your internet history. On it, arguably... Yeah. It would be easier. It's not like your mom was coming in and like scrutinizing your sheets. And if she, well, maybe she was. I don't know. There's a fireplace in every room. Yeah, but he needs to keep them, give them back to those guys. Well, I guess that's true. I would think. I would think, you know, I mean. I imagine porn didn't come cheap in those days. (laughs) That's very probably true. I mean, God knows if I had burned G.W. Wharton's naked woman pen, he would have been very upset. And you would have released terrible toxins (laughs) into the environment. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he drops the porn. Did she pick it up? Yes. Okay, so she picked it up, and then he just, like, left. Yeah. He was like, uh, I got nothing. He was like, you throw that away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, and again, I mean, at least, you know, Rose, you know people have sex naked, right? (laughs) Have you not been having sex naked with your husband? Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) That's right. It's like, this really isn't that pleasurable with all these clothes on. Yeah. Said everyone who's worn a pair of jeans ever. (laughs) So next we see out, uh, the outside of a very fancy house uh, with the railing around it that Martel is standing in front of. Uh, Grove comes up and is like, uh, I really can't be late. And she's like, well, but I just have this thing where I really need a man's opinion and I don't know where to turn. Which I really, you know, it works out fine. But I wanted to be like, Grove, how about you say, okay, great. Let's work this out after work because I literally can't be late or I will be fired. He's still trying to get at that pussy. He clearly still is. So uh, he he's like, all right. And she escorts him in. Miss Martle also has a bitch a new hairdo. She oh, does. She is looking fine. She is. And also, I was thinking as I was watching this particular episode, I really enjoy the clothes are more interesting in this show to me than I felt like I've been interested in clothes for a while. Like, Martel's, like there's more patterns and stuff going on. You mean in terms of Downton Abbey or in terms of the first series of this show? In terms of, well, in terms of Downton Abbey because that's more recent. Well, Downton Abbey, we agreed, look, the interwar period was a terrible time for clothes. Right. But even, but even going back with Downton Abbey, I feel like Downton Abbey almost always has, like, just more solid colors. And there's a lot, like, well, there's just a lot of interesting bow ties. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, you know, some kind of vests going on. I, I, well, I mean, the men's dress code on Downton Abbey is so rigid. Well, I, I guess that's... So they don't I have a ton of options. You're right. That's probably and the women, a big factor. I mean, I think patterns were more progressive, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, you're seeing a much wider swath of the workforce here. Right. And just, you know, a lot more different personalities. Whereas yeah. on Downton Abbey, it's kind of, you know, it's like the Borg. Um... <laughs> 
I'm also just trying to think, are they all still wearing black at work? All the women? I don't think so. I think we figured out, I think we established previously that they're, they're. Did we? Okay. Yeah, because I know Miss Martle in a later scene is wearing, like it's, it's a black base, but there's a lot of. Okay, well, and whatever she's wearing now, she's clearly wearing into the oh, store. Right, anyway, right. so they've changed that rule. It's yeah. It's no longer black only. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. Well played. <laughs> right. Uh, so inside this fancy house, we see uh, everything covered with dust cloths and everything like that. She opens some shutters. Uh, apparently, this house has been left to her by her brother, mm-hmm. who had lived overseas for years and never used it. Grove is like, oh, look at all these paintings. You could make a fortune in Martel's Slogan. I couldn't sell them. It wouldn't feel right. And he's like, well, how many bedrooms? And she says six bedrooms, which, oh, my God, as apartment hunters. Like, no, I know. I'm like, where is it? <laughs> right. Kill anyone else who asks. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our deposit ready. <laughs> Do you need in pounds sterling? We can we can get that. <laughs> right. Uh but yeah, so he's like, Well just live here, rent out the rooms for a steady income, like this is a sweet gig, and she's like, Well actually he left a steady income too. And he's like, Oh, you're a woman of independent and you means. You can kind of see him die a little bit inside right. because. Yeah. This well, could have all been his. It could have all been his. Although, I mean, again, his stated rationale was about the children. Oh, and he's got plenty of children now. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's what he wanted, he has gotten that in spades. Did so. he want the chaos? Uh, apparently. Well, he mm-hmm. thought he did. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what it would do to his hair. Good one, Schneider. <laughs> uh, anyway, Grove takes the high road and says it couldn't have happened to a better and person. And I did appreciate that he took the high road. Yeah. Well, and well, the, what else is he going to do? What but, else is he going to do? And we see, I think, in this scene that they 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 like each other again. They've gotten past generally they, no, speaking. No, they can work through what happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, look, they I were mean, they together for, for however many years. Like 20 or something yeah. insane. Like years and years. And she just, you know, I don't even know that it was necessarily that she needed a man. You know, I don't think she could say I needed a friend's opinion. Mm-hmm. I think she had to say I needed a man's opinion mm-hmm. because. Well, and it's funny too, because she doesn't actually ask for an opinion at any point. Mm-hmm. She's just like, here's this place and I'm rich now. Well, but I mean, sometimes you have to say it out loud to oh, someone. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm I not... assume if you've ever been rich. <laughs> right. No, like I'm not. I'm not faulting her. It's just that she didn't actually need any advice. She just needed to get that out. But I mean, and uh, you know, Grove never did explicitly wish her ill. So of course no. he's happy yeah. that she's doing all right. Lady May arrives at the bank and she opens a safe deposit box and uh, starts shoveling diamond jewelry into it. <laughs> yes. She then locks the box and rings for the bank flunky. And uh, she tells him that Lord Loxley mustn't ever know about this, of course. And then she asks if this guy's name is Jeremy. And I thought she was looking for a new like, right, right. bed warmer. But, in fact, she's just asking after his father, who I guess owns the bank. Mm-hmm. So he is working his way up. Yeah. Selfridge style at yeah. the bank. And this this was the standard idiot rich person welfare of the times. Like, listen, you work at a bank, you make mad money, and you don't actually have to have any skills. Yeah. Anyway, like, can you carry a box? Great, you're in. So she asks if there have been any financial rumors about her husband, and she like doesn't want to. You know, she does this whole 
worried spouse thing. Yeah, but it with works a, with a mix of womanly, you know, feminine yeah. wiles and all that sort of thing. It works on dumb, stupid Jeremy. Right. <laughs> uh, and he admits that he's heard his father and some of the other bankers talking, saying that Lord Loxley is all washed up and he's got a bunch of gambling debts. Yeah, and what I caught the second time through was that it's because all of his outstanding debts over the years are all being called in at once because of the war. Everybody's uh, calling in all their okay. chits. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of whom, we see Lord Loxley strutting into Selfridges with his walking stick. Uh, God, he is such a prat. Yeah, he is. We see the cosmetics crew looking at him like... And they're like, who does his eyeliner? It's driving us mad. <laughs> it's probably eyeliner. It probably is. He's like, you'll be me one day. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. For some reason, I just think of him like sitting around in like I, I, like an Egyptian I, well, I costume. See, I just see the guy playing Lord Loxley in this situation like, being like... <laughs> isn't this against the union rules? And they're like, we never thought of this. We're sorry. (laughs) There's nothing we can do. Just pay your dues. Uh, But he then goes upstairs and barges right on into Harry's office with a Plunkett is flummoxed. Yes. Effing Plunkett. Blankensop would never have let this happen. Free Blankensop. Uh, So Harry's like, fine, Plunkett. You know, I'm stuck with him now way to plunk it up <laughs> uh but loxley says that uh churchill would like to the winston churchill to be specific there have been many churchills over the mm-hmm. years uh would like to open the empire exhibition he says this is just the sort of thing that uh, you know to show everybody that britain is britain this and is so just forth. the sort of thing that the future savior of britain should get in on <laughs> that's right uh, which to be fair old timey people didn't no stuff. Agreed. Although, to be fair, I would not be surprised if Winston Churchill at this time would have gladly described himself as the future savior of Britain. Listen, as a very arrogant person who <laughs> likes to drink a lot, I am completely down with this. Yeah. So, Mr. Selfridge is like, ah, that would be awesome. Great. And Locks is like, fine, I'll set it up. Oh, by the way. Could- well, no, look, Mr. Selfridge is waiting for it because well, he's like, yeah. that's very kind of you. Yeah. And you can see him be like, what the fuck does this eyeliner having freak want from me? <laughs> right. And what he wants is a list of British leather manufacturers as the military needs a whole bunch of boots for this war that's uh, about to happen. Uh, bad news, Amber. <laughs> leather boots, not great for trench warfare. Well, well, I guess you can waterproof it, but yeah, even then... Well, you go to war with the boots you have. Um, <laughs> and Harry's like, yeah, I know all the leather manufacturers in Britain. I gotcha. You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys. <laughs> Monsieur Leclerc yep. walks into Selfridges and he smiles. Yeah, but oh, he looks so sad in his yeah. eye holes. <laughs> yeah, but he's also like, oh, look at this place. Like, you know, hey. look, he's happy, he's impressed, but all- no. And I, either like Gregory Fitzusi <laughs> is a really good actor, or they're good at makeup. But like, he looks like, what happened to you, man? Did oh, some, it's... like, did you see a child murder a puppy and then get hit by a bus? <laughs> like, that's how upset his face is. Well, in that case, you'd sort of think it would be like poetic justice, you know? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not all of which is cold comfort for the viewer. Right. Anyway, uh, he walks up to Miss Martle who recognizes him and is thrilled to see him. And mm-hmm. he says that her pearls suit her. And she's 
oh, she's like, oh, Monsieur Leclerc, you always notice everything. And I'm like, get in my body! Yeah. Well, plus, you know, she's only just decided that she can afford that, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, she fancy now. Miss mm-hmm. Bartle! Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. This would be the perfect time for Miss Revilius to come back and for them to have a fancy lesbian relationship. It would be. Make it so, eyeliner. <laughs> so he asks where Miss Towler is. Uh, then we then cut up to Grove's office uh, as Crab comes in and finds Grove literally just sitting staring into space, doing nothing. And Grove is like, yeah, I guess you heard. I'm about to get fired. And Crab's like, listen, none of us want you to get fired. Hang in there, buddy. And listen, I hear these manuals that I've ordered from America. That, and we see the title of one of them is Modern Manager. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of very new interesting things in here. And, you know, Mr. Selfridge loves to, you know, the, the latest things and all this sort of thing. And... uh Grove is like, oh, you you ordered these from America for me, you know? Like he's he's a little touched by it. And Crab's like, you're gonna rise to the challenge, Mister Grove, like the the great man that you are. I can feel it. And then he walks out. And Grove is like, huh? Maybe maybe I will. This was a very touching scene. It was like just God. We yeah. can all use a little crab in our lives, people. Yeah, he's such a good person. He is. God, I wish I was a good person like Mister Crab. Well, you know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're great. You, I think, told the truth the first time. <laughs> well, you're not good like Mr. Crab. No, I'm not. I'm good like Mr. Selfridge. Right, which is also important. <sighs> this is getting depressing. Let's there, take this up with my therapist. There wouldn't be a store if it was only Mr. Crab. Well, but I don't have a store. He tried to sabotage the store from the beginning. He was like, oh, we can't have this store, Mr. Selfridge. Right, I need that person. <laughs> right. That's why I don't have a store. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The lesson is optimism is bad. <laughs> At the Palm Court, uh, Agnes is testily explaining her new Raj plan to Fat Thomas, who complains yet again. Uh, Agnes correctly asks him why he's being so effing difficult. Yeah. And he says that some people have real problems. And then she just turns and leaves yeah. she's like what yeah she's like you know this whole italian plot is just a construct that eyeliner thought up right right and also yes some people have real problems also we're at work and i have work problems right now that's, that's what work is for yeah leave your bullshit baggage and attitude at the door because <laughs> we don't need it that's right igor lurches over <laughs> points out that that was a bit harsh yeah considering that somebody was just trying to do her job fat thomas agrees and uh igor's like oh go on you know go on and and make up with her yeah because there's nothing to do here like how can i get a job at the palm court where everybody's just like uh go go see this person you you know whatever we'll all cover for you know any greasy old pimps well (laughs) (laughs) moving on (laughs) Agnes sees Monsieur Leclerc just as he is getting onto an elevator and is like, oh my god. You guys, I've never Mary sued anything <laughs> as hard as I've Mary sued this entire rest of this episode. Yeah, so okay. there, there's a whole like old Hollywood style little scene here is like he gets off the elevator downstairs and she's coming down the stairs and she's looking and he's looking and then <gasps> they see each other. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's and so they... much better than Audrey Hepburn Dove commercial. I can't <laughs> even tell you. It's very much better. Oh, and they meet and they're so happy to see each other and they embrace each other. 
uh, all under the angry gaze of Fat Thomas, who is glowering at them from the balcony. We've never seen him. Th- he's more mad about this than the Italians out graffiti. <laughs> right. He is. Like, he really, like, he's, like, his head is literally shaking no, I, with like, rage. I think he's been possessed by Beatrice, <laughs> is what I think. <laughs> She's like, try and keep me out of series two, will you? <laughs> I will have my revenge. <laughs> At a cafe, possibly the same uh, tea shop yeah. uh, where we last saw Miss Bunting. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Let us not go that way. No. Anyway, so Agnes very tactfully is like, what happened to your girlfriend? <laughs> and he's like, oh, that didn't work out. And she's like, what about your job at the ad agency? And he's like, oh, that was like fine until... It was very interesting. Yeah. What about you? Right. And I'm like, red flag. Oh, yeah. There's... Red flag. Oh, there's there's some revelations ahead. I like, don't know what they are. Like, what incurable disease do you have? Who did you kill? I... He's in, he's mixed up with something illegal. I'm I very, don't know what I'm it is, very concerned. Anyway, he's mixed up in some, well, is. he was at Delphine's. I know. Anyways. No. So, uh, she says, you know, she's not got a job. <laughs> you know, she can't do anything right. Not like before. <laughs> uh, anyway, Mr. Leclerc offers to help because Mr. Selfridge has asked him to come back just for the Empire exhibition. <laughs> and she's like, fuck yes! Yeah. No, and I actually, because I was, I was mildly concerned at first because this is kind of like, from, from Agnes's position, I, I could sort of see this feeling like a negative thing to her where you're finally out on your own and then this guy's, you know, your but old boss is coming so back. But not she's so in over her head like well, this. Well, right, right. The way, the way it actually worked yeah. out. Yeah. At Selfridge House, we see New Gordon reading about the march to war. Eat Sanky Smalls. Rose then shoves down the newspaper and is like, you've been avoiding me. And he's like, no, I haven't. I was like, dude, anyway. <laughs> also, that's gross. Moms, don't do this to your sons. Right. Just ignore it like well, a Catholic. And she, look, so she launches into the speech she's been drafting for the past 24 hours. Uh, and is like, you know, that I'm not angry, but... You know, the relations between men and women, you know, it's it's not just about that, that it should be love as well about as about... only wearing a lot of clothes? <laughs> right. Because I think we might be doing it wrong. <laughs> we never wear pants. Right. That's and... your house words. <laughs> that is my house We words. wear no pants. <laughs> yeah. That's actually correct. Yeah. I, I endorse that. New Gordon, then, in almost so many words says to his mother that he should that she should start having sex with his father again like oh my god like ah. i kind of love new gordon i oh i mean yeah Look, but you know what i really do appre- how the fuck old is he supposed to be right well that's that's the question because he, he went from he like he looks 27 he went from 11 to like 34 anyway like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, because I feel like you see this on TV, you know, it never happened in my family. Mm -hmm. But it's like, whenever, you know, I would have friends whose parents didn't share a room anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it is, uh, it is noticed Mm -hmm. by the children. Even if they're too young to know about the relations between men and women. Right, right. Like, they're like, man, things sure seemed like they were way better when you guys were in the same room. Right. Well, they know that mommies and daddies sleep in the same bed, and then yeah. when they stop, they're like, oh, this is not what I was informed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, you're right. I actually agree. 
that Look, I kind of like this. I mean, I'll say... You're probably overly identifying what, with Gordon, too. Well, yes and no, because I will say that it bothers me... That The only thing that bothers me about it is that I'm just annoyed because New Gordon is spouting the Harry Selfridge party line and he's so like he's so much on his dad's side because that's the side he's been hearing you know well look he's not not, it's not egregious that's what makes this I think which is weird to say a nuanced drama mm -hmm. look he doesn't realize because he is still some sort of child right right um you know he doesn't realize that yeah and from his perspective all he can see is that his mom left Mm -hmm. his mom left and left him there. Yeah. So it's her fault. Right. And again, I can't believe how much in this second series I have been super anti-Team Rose. Like, I don't think it makes me Team Harry. Right. But I'm I like, Rose needs to get her shit together. Right. And I think I've actually been more on Rose's side than you have. But That's it's pretty it's, typical for us. It is pretty typical for us. And it's, I mean, and it's not, like, dramatic in either case. But I will say, among the other props to New Gordon... Way to take a conversation about your pornography and leave with the upper hand. Like, damn. If I had had that ability, I would be president right now. <laughs> also, if I'd ever looked at pornography as a teenager, <laughs> well, which I did not. Right. What about MTV's Undressed? I was 19. It was like Edwardian porn. No, I was 17. It was kind of like Edwardian porn because <laughs> I couldn't show anything interesting. <laughs> right. Anyway. Uncle Gio. No, it's Uncle Joe. They call him Uncle Joe, but they call the restaurant Gio's. Well, I think, I think they're just pronouncing it Joe because I actually, I looked in IMDb and G-I-O is his name. Oh, so just the Brits are calling him Joe. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Right. Anyway, he's also reading about the march to war. Eat snack smalls. He says the Italians are finished and that they'll be put in front in front of a firing squad just any day now. Right. And then Fat Thomas points out that he's as English as the next man. But Gio says it's war and he makes a throat slitting motion in front of Gabriella, who, number one, doesn't seem that smart. Right. And number two, gets very upset. Yeah. At the idea that they'll all be brutally killed. Yes, that upsets uh, Particularly her. when her English isn't super great. Right. She's like, I wasn't sure what you were talking about until you made that throat slitting gesture. (laughs) And then I was like, oh shit. So Fat Thomas goes after her. He says that Uncle Joe, Gio. We can call him Joe. We're all English here. Yeah. He always thinks the worst and nobody's coming for Gabriella, which historical records show is true. (laughs) Right. Uh, And he says he'll look after her and then they kiss. Yeah. Uh, this is clearly a first kiss, which explains some things, but also, also not do- Yeah, things. it also, like, it confuses things, yeah. So she says that he wasn't sure he liked her, and then she hugs and snuggles on him, and his face immediately goes through all <laughs> the first four of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. I just kissed somebody that I'm not really into. Yeah. yeah. We've all done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, again, was this a thing? Right. I will, you know, look, here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. I totally buy the idea that, you know, Italian immigrants would be like, oh, crap, people are getting super jingoistic. Right. Everybody's getting, you know. again, they're all in England because they got run out of some town originally. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just an, you know. And, you know, and we were discussing, you know, the history of, of Italy is brutal yeah. and terrible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just, again, there's, much like with the union story, it's like, what do the 
people behind this think is going on. Right. Because it's not being presented as just, oh, these people don't understand what's going on. It's like, no, this is really happening. Yeah, I mean, somebody painted Italians out, and Kitty was bitchy like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it's... And Uncle Joe thinks he's going to die. Right. So... Yeah, although Uncle Joe was established as thinking that he's going to die at all times. So that part is all right. That's but, okay. Yeah. All right. But I also think, well, the Gabriella thing, too, now that I think about it, I mean, the Gabriella thing is a classic, in this tight-knit little community, the grown-ups have all decided that Fat Thomas and Gabriella are going to get together, uh. and they've just decided that, and they tell everybody that's what's going to happen, and that that's, you know, been kind of a standard thing through most of history. You know who she reminds me of? Who? In Cradle Rock, when uh, John Turturro's wife yeah. has their baby, and then the whole Italian family comes in, and then she's talking to Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. Who has the fresh-off-the-boat Italian wife? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're talking about uh, the shadow? Yeah. Anyway, that's who she reminds me of. Yeah. Agreed. Incidentally, if we haven't already told you, you really need to watch Cradle Will Rock. Oh, yeah. Like, so much. Yes. Uh, up in Harry's office, Lady May arrives, and Harry greets her happily, says we haven't met since that crazy tango night. Uh, waka waka. <laughs> right. Uh, she says that she has been indisposed, uh, but she's feeling Nursing better. a shiner. <laughs> right. Uh, she's doing better, and she is there because she needs a reliable locksmith and would like one of Selfridge's, and she needs it that evening while the Lord's is in session because, oh, Lord Loxley hates the disturbance, so it's best to do while he's out of the house. And Harry's like, uh, yeah, great. I can, that's, that's what I do. Send uh, locksmiths places. Right. Can you get a locksmith for my wife's vagina? Because I'm striking out left and right. <laughs> uh, but he, so he asks after her and Lord Loxley's like, yeah, y'all all right? When he asks after, like, is she all right financially because their account was closed and all that sort of thing? And May, surprising me the first time through is completely like oh it's fine he's just like that we're just ships that pass in the night then he hates to part with his money that was what struck me right he hates to part with his money so while he's in town i have to behave exactly i thought that was totally plausible yeah super duper plausible it totally was and then when harry asks if he can trust lord loxley about the leather manufacturer thing lady may is like yes you can trust him and doesn't hedge it at all and that you know, again, it makes more sense as we go, but I was really taken aback. No, I was like, girl! Yeah, yeah. Guess what time it is. <laughs> what time is it? Mustache time. Oh, yeah. Mustache uh, strolls on in and greets Kitty, and he asks her out, but she's still a bit put out, uh, just for no reason, it no. seems. She just, she wants to make sure that he's willing to jump through her hoops. hoops. Yeah. Not the hoops he's thinking of. <laughs> right. Uh, she says maybe she'll go with him if it's somewhere nice, which I really appreciate how mercenary she is in dating. I do too. I've always wanted to be that pretty. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, he says that he will meet her on the bank holiday right. uh, outside an underground station. Very, you know, respectable. Right. Which I mean, and you know, obviously it was fine, but it just struck me as odd because if somebody said to me, take me somewhere nice. My response would not be, okay, I'll meet you outside the subway station. I don't know. It's a very Bay Area type thing to do. I guess that's true. Look, he knows better than to not take her somewhere nice at this point. Well, right. 
That's and he's clearly got enough money that he can buy her that Yardley facial cream. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he did. He did pass the first yeah. challenge. So Monsieur Leclerc walks by uh, with Agnes, and Kitty kind of surprisedly looks after them, insofar as you can tell with her face. And he says that what Agnes has done is she has forgotten the heart of the empire, white privilege. <laughs> no, but he says uh, Great Britain is what she has forgotten. Uh, then Which is stupid. It is. It is stupid. Actually, that's like a real rookie mistake. I agreed, but that's. I don't care well, how many suitcases you now. It's go one over. of those things where you you kind of outthink yourself, you know. I guess so. I'm I'm guessing, uh, or it was just convenient. Narrative economy. <laughs> so Kitty greets Monsieur Leclerc as does Fat Thomas, and Leclerc says that he is just back for the Empire celebration. So Fat Thomas just sulks off. Like, like he pretty much does in about fifty percent of Fat Thomas's scenes end with him kind of sulking off. Uh, Martel asks, "Do they finally have something for accessories?" And Fake Doris is also there. We did not realize that Fake Doris has been working in accessories all along, much like real Doris. <laughs> right, exactly. Not in cosmetics. She's so that also explains in. why she got accessories. Right, right. I'm not saying she could have gotten them for free, but like, yeah, yeah. You know, she would have. She as, would have known the right forms. As to a re- fill out. no, as a retail veteran, <laughs> I don't know that she could have checked them out, but she would have had some things in her employee hold mm-hmm. that she had ID'd when they came in. Gotcha. I'm not a retail veteran. Oh, yeah. All the better for you. Ah, uh, yes. But Leclerc tells Miss Martle that accessories is the heart of the store, and the Britannia will stand right in accessories. And Martle is quite. Please. Monsieur Leclerc is a very good diplomat, and that is a skill that Miss Towler really needs to learn. That is true. Well, because even when he was pissing off uh, Miss Revilius and Miss mm-hmm. Martle, mm-hmm. you know, he got away with it. Yeah. And you just yeah. have to learn to not ask permission, but to ask forgiveness. Right. Whereas what Agnes did in the first time was ask for neither. Yeah. Which, it's fine to, you know, swing your dick around from time to time, but you've got to know yeah. when when not. Fat Thomas continues his sulk past <laughs> Keebler, and he asks uh, who Monsieur Leclerc is, and Fat Thomas explains who he is. And Keebler says that he thinks Leclerc looks shabby? Which, what? I broke something. Yeah. Like, excuse uh, me, Shabby? I will say we do see his like he's wearing like a mandarin collar like he's not wearing a tie. He's he's very dressed down. But right. he still oh god he's so attractive. I know. Like may, maybe Keeper's not gay. Maybe he's not. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what maybe he must not be. Right? Because you know what? I don't know. Yeah yeah yeah. That's, could, that's uh, a bit it's a bit glib to say that. Yeah. But anyway, he he can regardless of orientation perceive this man as a threat. Yes. So Keebler says that he can't just swan back in and expect his job back. And Fat Thomas, as he has said in all of the previews, says <laughs> he just has. Right. Uh, boom. Right. Uh, not that that gives Fat Thomas any pleasure. And like right. the reading wasn't fat- clear out of context in the previews. Well, I mean, it's also partly that in Fat Thomas's mind, he has just swanned back and he has just swanned in and taken Fat Thomas's girl back. I, even though she, wa- his, she wasn't really his girl and all this sort of I thing. I wonder if, because... And this isn't clear right. what happened with them in the interim. Right. But it's like, did she tell him that they were banging at some point? Yeah. Because I mean... But I mean, well, I mean, whether or not... I mean, I feel like it's something that people... 
people would have been talking, like, even if they hadn't had any relationship whatsoever, the way she That's was kind true. of taken under LeClaire's wing, yeah. you know, that would have... Well, and the fact that she would always throw Fat Thomas over for LeClaire. Right. Like, even if he only thought it was work stuff. Right, right. They better start having sex again. <laughs> or I'm going to have to get out the old fan fiction typewriter. <laughs> you That's, know the one I mean. I do. It's only used for fan fiction. <laughs> There's, instead of a shift key, it has a ship key. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Um, we see Lord Loxley walking through the uh, upstairs hall at Loxley House, unloosening his bow tie. But when he gets to a door that he tries to open, it is locked. And he rattles it and demands that Lady May let him in. He's also very clearly drunk. Yes, and carrying a glass. Because that's what goes on at the Lords? Uh, apparently, that's... yeah. It's kind of a miracle the British Empire hung together for as long as it did. Look, there's a reason that, that at this very time, people were desperately trying to limit the power of the House of Lords. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Lady May says through the door that she has been vouching for him all over town, but that if he ever comes near her again, she will tell everyone that he is a bankrupt. She will shout it throughout the streets. And he hears that, slams back the rest of his whiskey, and walks off without a word, and May collapses back against the wall again and she's just been waiting there by her door for this to happen yeah so we can add presumably uh repeated marital rape yes to the horrors that loxley has been inflicting on her yes uh which is very upsetting it is very upsetting yes <sighs> yeah it is but man and this makes it at, at i was immediately like okay i see exactly why she has been why she told Harry that he could trust Lord Locke. Yes, 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 yes. Because the fact is, regardless of whether he's a bankrupt or not, he could still divorce her and she'd still have nothing, regardless of what she did to him. She needs to have some sort of carrot to be offering him, to be like, I will still be maintaining something for you. I do still have some value to you. And I'll say this, because he said, all you have is the Loxley name and I can take it away from you like that. And I mean... That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. However, what she's built on top of the Loxley name is her incredible network and her influence. Right. And what she's basically doing at this point is a, is a, you know, suicide bomber strategy where she's like, okay, you know what? If you're going to give, if you're going to take the Loxley name away from me, I will destroy the Loxley name for both of us. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can't have it, then neither well, can you. Well, and she put her diamonds away. I mean, look, yeah. she's a scrapper. She'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. She hasn't uh, lost her cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Well played, Lady May. Yeah. Harry brings Rose her breakfast in bed, and she asks why he's not at work. He tells her it's a bank holiday. (laughs) What's a holiday? (laughs) He says all the news from Europe is worse, and maybe Rose should go back to America. And she says that she doesn't want to be a coward, not after she's applied all that mascara in her sleep. (laughs) I was just amused by her eyelashes. Oh, yeah. Look, (laughs) listen. I'm familiar with the trope of, oh, women waking up looking freaking great, which is not how it works. (laughs) Rose says that she knows that he's trying, and he says, I don't know how to get your trust back, because I'm nailing it. (laughs) I'm so great. You should trust me. But, uh, you know, he has a store and a staff to think about. Rose says that it's her duty to stay. And I'm like, is it? You've been gone, like, forever. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, but it's well, not Harry's just like don't ju- like she doesn't. He doesn't want her to stay just for duty. Yeah. So uh, he swears that he won't let her down, and you know she makes another hash mark in the journal she keeps <laughs> of times he said that. <laughs> right. He just promises to find a word for duty that doesn't sound ridiculous. <laughs> duty. Duty. <laughs> no, I mean it's. Oh, man, she looks really pretty in this scene, though. She does. She looks mega yeah. pretty. And I also, this is just a random thing. I liked the uh, the the china that they had for her her breakfast set. It was like this blue. I like. You know, I mean, I, I've said it before last season. I love the blue tile in their mm, house, mm-hmm. like, so much that yeah. it's ridiculous how much I like it. Um, Duly noted. Yeah. So if you ever want a, a, a deep blue tile in any uh, place that we own. Well, we're renting. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so this is the first real sign of physical affection we've seen between them. Yeah. Well, they say that they're going to spend the holiday together. So it's like, you mean, like... Together, I don't know. Or? Look, I'm not on board with this. I oh, don't yeah. care what what New Gordon has to say about it. Why? Oh, like, well, and again, as as even being, as I'm anti Team Rose, right? But yeah, so even more so me as Team Rose, I'm like, this is not enough yet. Like, no, like you me. need to mm, you need to like you need to get some some cash money, right? In or terms just, of trust I or don't know something. What that means. Some the, just this. Nothing that he's done so far is, like, more impressive than any of his other promises. Yeah, like, draw like one of your French girls. <laughs> then we'll know you're serious. Right. Uh, also, there's a new portrait of her in his office. Oh, right. It's not as horrible as the first one, but it's still pretty effing bad. It's still pretty bad. It's more... It's more think, of a spring palette. Yeah, it's more pastels and less primary colors, yeah. which helps. Yeah, which because like Roddy Temple, well, seriously, yeah. it's less adulterous. I think is a key. <laughs> he was like, "Listen, we're going to get the most uh, non-sex having <laughs> portrait maker," and I, I don't know. Right. Whereas Roddy was like, "I only use this red for married women I bang." <laughs> they didn't even bang. I know. Well, he regrets it now. He's got less of that red paint left. So, out in some park. Which, uh, uh, spoiler alert, that's not nice enough. <laughs> well. Like, if you want to hang out with me on a bank holiday, you best take me somewhere with walls. Fair enough. Although, it's a very nice day. In any case, Kitty seems reasonably mollified. Uh, mustache is sipping champagne and explaining how he got his start in the old mustache game. And apparently, he was like some sort of broom-pushing boy at a newspaper. Uh, so, sort of like a Ratatouille situation. Or a Mr. Selfridge situation. Well, that's true. Uh, he asks then how... So wait, has a mouse been writing all of his articles? I think that's very plausible. <laughs> <laughs> that hides in his mustache? <laughs> it pulls on it and it makes him do words? Let's move on. So he asks Kitty how she got her start in the uh, retail game. And she says that her dad had a stall at Barrow Market something market. Uh, and he's like, oh, I, so that's why you can sell anything, eh? So I guess it's like a famous market if you're in Edwardian England. And he says that they're, uh, they're not so different after all. And Kitty says, yes, except that I'm on my way up and you're holding on by your fingertips. I really like Kitty. Yeah. She knows what she wants and she's going to effing get I mean, look, yeah. she got that promotion. She did get that promotion. Back in the day. I mean, she's not wrong. She's on her way up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, she's doing very well for herself. And Mustache doesn't... He's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's absolutely correct. Like, he's... Look, his novel failed. He could, He no longer has any pride to hide behind at this point. God, this is very similar to the relationship 
between Lion Burke and Ann Wells in Jacqueline Suzanne's postmodern classic, <laughs> Valley of the Dolls. I am going to have to take your word on that. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. <laughs> uh, so Kitty asks if that's why he's been hanging around Harry. And he says that, yeah, uh, Harry's good copy. Kitty says that she's not going to be tipping mustache off on any stories. He's like, oh, you're loyal? And she's immediately like, yes, I am loyal. And I thought there was a double meaning in that. Yeah. I mean, not that she'd ever... I don't think she'd ever sell Selfridges out. But right. I think her point is also like, yeah, I may not be one of your good time girl floozies, mm-hmm. but like, I'll back you up, Brownie. All right. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that makes sense. You know, she's not going to put herself at risk. Right. Yes, and she also wishes that she had been the one to be sent to Paris. Maybe I'm more like Kitty than Mr. Selfridge. I mean, Kitty's awesome. So yeah, that's, Kitty is pretty awesome. Uh, I uh, I certainly never had a misspender. <laughs> that would never be so gauche. Yeah, spender. <laughs> like, spender. Hey, come on, hey lady, change your name. We can talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A mustache says, was like, London isn't so bad. Dining al fresco in the sunshine. I'm like, you can do that in Paris. Actually, much more often. I was going to say, there's not that much sunshine. If you, like, right. did they have, like, this was probably like the last shot that they took because they were just waiting. <laughs> right. It's like, listen, we've got five minutes this year in which the sun will be shining in London. <laughs> uh, so he offers Kitty another glass which she somewhat begrudgingly accepts and he pours one himself. And I, I noted that her glass was still like half full and his was of course completely empty. Yeah. I mean, look, hey. she, she's aware that he's at least on the prowl. Right. He, he may be willing to, you know, uh, shut up before he puts up, <laughs> but she can't be sure. She's yeah. got to protect herself. She's savvy. She is savvy. Cut to getting it done montage. <gasps> right? Edwardian yeah. style. Yeah. Mr. Grove is in his office on the bank holiday, writing things on postcards, filing things in drawers, paging through modern manager, removing files from folders, etc., etc. Then he yawns and leaves his pristine office. Yeah. I'd- this is the first time I've liked Mr. Grove since the recent unpleasantness. No, I know. Like, I'm, I'm so sympathetic with him this episode. I keep kind of reminding myself not to be... <laughs> No, man. I mean, look, you remember how mad I got the last podcast oh, episode yeah. and remembered what he did. Yeah. But I'll say, well, look, obviously there's no bad blood on Miss Martle's part. Well, right. And which that, goes a long it way. It does. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kudos to eyeliner because mm-hmm. you had a person make one of the most reprehensible decisions. Right. Without, like, ending a person's life. Right. Like, it was only, like, a one Lord Loxley, but mm-hmm. still. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Like one Lord Loxley. That's still a lot. That's still a person I don't want to associate with. Right. In my day to day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Lord Loxley. Right. He's really on our shit list, you guys. Yeah. We're very upset with him. Yeah. But Grove is rehabilitating himself, kind of. Maybe. So. I mean, very, very provisionally. We're going to cautiously assign him a fart plus. <laughs> in the Kelly Anakin excrement grading scale. I think that's fair. Thank you. No, fart minus. What am I thinking, fart plus? <laughs> Continue. We see Agnes arranging a fan on a display case. Uh, and Leclerc walks in. This is the, the shop floor at Selfridges with a bunch of lackeys. And uh, he says, thanks, good work, guys, and dismisses them. And says to Agnes that they've done enough for the night. 
uh, Agnes agrees and she's like, here, I got this for you and, and gives him a box. And he's like, oh, and he, he opens it up and it's a shirt. Uh, with a collar. Right. A Mandarin collar, as I understand. No, it. the shirt he was wearing is a man. You oh. don't know what a Mandarin collar no, is. No, I don't. How to explain this to you and the other men who are listening. <laughs> A Mandarin collar, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's an Eastern influence. Right. And it's sort of like a crew neck, but it's split in a very small V and then there's like a, a, um, a hem well, around the I top. Think, right. Well, that's, anyway, that's kind of what I thought was going on with the shirt she showed him, but that's. No, it has a collar because he wears it the next day. Okay. And that shirt is a shirt you can wear a bow tie with and then it has to have a proper Oxford collar. Okay. Well, maybe I'll go back and look again. For my own I have I have some garments with a mandarin collar. Men, if you are also confused, you can do two things. Ask a female relative in your house if you can see a mandarin collar or you can Google mandarin collar. Right. Second one's probably easier. Ladies, don't want to discriminate. You can do the same. <laughs> right. You have the same options. Uh, so Monsieur Leclerc says, well, I can't accept this because he can't accept anything. But Agnes says, well, you used to give me presents all the time, and now it's my turn. And I loved that. Well, because – and I think this is what set you at ease with it. Yeah. About him coming in and helping her because she – at no point to her was this him coming back and assuming authority over her. Mm -hmm. And at no point did he try to assume authority. Right. He was like, you're struggling. I'm here to help you. And she's like, you're right. You are here to help me. Yeah. And she's in a better position than him now. I mean, you know, she's gleaned that much. Right. Right. In her, you know, miraculous way. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The fact that she's picked up on any, she is really savvy. She just always looks like she's about to get hit by a car. Right. But you know, I mean, but she is savvy and she, you know, that's, that's part of her deal. And she, I mean, she was sent to Paris. She lived on her own in Paris for, wasn't it like two years? Two years. Yeah. So, you know, at any rate, so she, she shows him a kindness and it's awesome. Yes. Oh, I just, I love their relationship. Yeah. I mean, in all of the Edwardian cultural things we've seen, the relationship between these two is the closest, I think, to a relationship between equals, really. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I see what you're saying. I could be wrong. Well, because even, you know, Seabatch and uh, up. Right. That, yeah, I mean, that, you know, like, we were fine with that as a relationship. But they still, they were both still very much adhering to sort of the conventional construct of a relationship yeah whereas this relationship started as a work relationship and was based in mutual respect in that milieu right and then became a sexual relationship and is now kind of it hasn't been seamless i mean he's been gone for five years or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know but i mean it's such a new thing too because i mean it's not even like the service industry in this way like barely even existed at that point like the the work relationships at that point it was all you know you were in the you know brotherhood of tanners or whatever yeah like you know to 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 have a relationship like this was only recently possible Mm -hmm. we see the windows of selfridges and hey Canada counts as part of the empire, too. Oh, yeah. It is represented by a mountie uniform, three maple leaves, and a horse, which <laughs> is the most unimaginative part of this empire exhibit. Right. Uh, it's like, so, so the message from Eyeliner is, suck it, Canada. <laughs> we vehemently disagree. Well, right. We love... Have we oh, talked yeah. about how much we love Canada I, on I this podcast? I don't know whether we have or not, but if you're out there, Canada, we love you. We really love you. Yeah. Toronto in particular, we would have emigrated there if it wasn't really complicated. <laughs> right. 
And, uh, you know, I've yeah. had many fun trips to the Stratford Festival. Here, here. We're going to go to Vancouver sometime. <laughs> yes. Anyway, a... Put that uh, in your window, Selfridge. <laughs> what, us visiting Vancouver? Yes, it's going to be historic. Mm. The, yeah, it's not. I'm not wearing enough rouge for that. <laughs> a porter welcomes Harry, who checks out the main window, which uh, says, The sun never sets on the British Empire. And you guys, I just want to talk for a minute about what retail has become. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it looked like it was a stuck on the window decal, which you see all the time now. Right, right. But you know, back in the day, it had to be this, you know, thing on a stand and it was cut to look a, like a banner. Mm-hmm. But it was an optical illusion where it looked flush up against the window. And I miss that. Yeah. I miss the human touch well, in a retail display. No. You know, it can't all be, you know, God, I don't even remember what that tool's called. There's a tool. Okay, so when you put a thing on in retail, right? That's like sort sticky. of like sort of like a like a squeegee burnishing. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what they call they call it a burnishing tool, which doesn't right. make any sense to me because well, yeah. that sounds like it should be on fire. <laughs> anyway, but like that's how you get the air bubbles out. Uh-huh, but like uh-huh. here, no air bubbles. Right. Just beauty. Yeah. Only beauty enticing the customer to come into the store. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a franchise, was it? <sighs> All I have to say is get your shit together, retail. <laughs> I still love you. It's like at the end of the bodyguard, you know. I don't. When like Kevin, how are we even married? All right, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> uh, so Harry walks in. Uh, he's looking at the central display, and uh, we see Thackeray appearing. You mean Keebler? Sorry. Next, it's like cousin Scott had a random idea that Look, he sent us an email for no reason. Next week, the notes will say Keebler. <sighs> they effing better. <laughs> so we see Keebler peeling at the uh, the Raj display, which is a, admittedly fairly bizarre because the way it winds up being set up, it's the the couple, man and woman, in like safari outfit having a picnic with a tiger, as if the tiger has been invited. And although the man does have his rifle. He's like, listen, Tiger, you're welcome to share in our picnic, but if you try to have an extra biscuit, look out! (laughs) (laughs) Tigers are just huge fans of afternoon tea. (laughs) That's right. And we see Agnes and LeClaire walking along, checking out their work. Uh, Crab is there, and he congratulates them. And we pan up to Harry standing in front of the Britannia display, which is, like, look, it's exactly what they should have done. To me, it's god-awful, but... Just, we don't choose our national mythology, right. man. I understand. I, Look, I no- don't think Molly Pitcher gets enough representation in American iconography, but you don't hear me complaining. Well, maybe you should. Maybe then she'd get more representation. Hmm. Well, right. Um, but yeah, like I don't, I mean that in no way against Miss Towler or Monsieur Leclerc. It looks very fucking British. I also just want to say I do miss that about retail. I'm sorry, everyone. No, this has turned into a whole thing. It's... No, but I miss I miss that about retail is that you could do something physical mm, and mm-hmm. people could see it and be like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like I was really good at visual merchandising. Yeah. As is Miss Taller. <sighs> I know. And Mr. Leclerc. And uh, and so what you're saying is I should find a really hot Frenchman. Haven't I said that for years? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but I meant it. Okay. Um, okay. Right. For for work purposes. Yeah. Right. Of course. Uh, so yeah, but but Mr. Selfridge is there and is like, great work, truly incredible, and 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 he means it. He's it's everybody's thrilled. Yeah, it's not. He's kind of in like. 
Right. He's been know, like, he's been like, I'm sure you can get it done. Yeah. And now. look, and I mean, I think he knew when he sent Ms. Teller to Paris, he's like, okay, you're like, instincts are good, but you need more confidence in like people skills. Mm-hmm, but he mm-hmm. like trusted her. Yeah. And then Henri showed up like the Deus ex sexy now that he is. <laughs> Deus sex machina. There you That's go. That's a lot funnier. Yeah. Sorry about the draft, everyone. <laughs> is what the king said later. <laughs> he didn't ever say that. No, there's no apologies. Back upstairs, uh, Harry asks Mr. Crab if Mr. Grove is late again. Mr. Crab says that he's in his office and he's been there for four days, more or less. More he or less. Points him to Grove's office. Harry walks in, and it's clean. It has no resemblance to the previous office. That's right. And Mr. Grove explains that he's put new systems in place, and he shows them a new filing system for employees. Harry's very impressed, and Mr. Grove says that he's done some research, though, and realized that 80% of their male staff are eligible to join the army. Yeah. And Uh, Harry's like, oh. Yeah, so he's like, I'm going to keep this report, uh, and presumably cry. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he walks out and then just crab gives Grove, he would give him a thumbs up if they'd invented that. <laughs> right. Right. There's also actually a moment at the end of the getting it done montage. And I, I may be over interpreting this cause that's what we do. But I, I, it seemed like there was a moment where after he had finished cleaning up the whole place where he was considering going into Harry's office and being like, Hey, I fixed this place up, but then decided not to and decided to wait for Harry to come to him. Which, whether or not that was a decision he actually made or not, it was the right thing to do. Just be like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And then... No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I did not have that reaction, but I uh, I like right. to think of it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so downstairs, we see a brass band that is either warming up or just sucks. I, not I'd really, lay even odds. Right. I'm not really certain. And we see Mr. Crab positioning employees all along a red carpet. We see Rose ending a conversation with a token black dude. Yeah, because Eyeliner was like, oh, Julian Fellows is having a black fellow. Well, I'm going to have one as well in African clothes. We can't afford to give him a line. Because <laughs> uh, he doesn't get a line. He no. doesn't. No. no, and I'm like, where did you come from? Right. You're literally the first black person we've seen on this show. I came from the Empire. <sighs> Sad trumpet. Right. Uh a mustache comes up and gets a quote from Rose about how she's very happy and pleased and whatever. Uh, and she greets Harry and Henri, who finally gets the chance to apologize. In person. For his behavior while being poked by a stick. It probably <laughs> means all the more that he's wearing a shirt with a collar and a tie. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, because he's got one of his flashy bow ties back. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Leclerc's back, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Keebler better keep his bow tie game upped. Which, I mean, he's a god. He's already lost. Well, yeah. Have you seen those ears? <laughs> I have. You can't miss them. Uh, the Loxleys come up. May congratulates Mr. Selfridge. And uh, he pulls Lord Loxley aside and gives him the list of leather manufacturers that he has prepared. Well, and he points out that he's given him a list of every leather manufacturer. But he's ranked them in order of the ones he likes best. Right. He's so, like, these ones are all right. These guys suck. Yeah. Yeah. Crab... 
pokes his head out the front door and he looks around. Various journalists are confused and are kind of like, oh, 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 you, blah, 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 peas and carrots. Right. I have this old timey camera and I can't even use it. So he comes back in and shakes his head. Harry asks Lord Loxley, like, what's up? Because, you know, Winston Churchill was promised. And right. Lord Loxley's like, I don't know what's up. And I'm very suspicious at this point. Right. I know. I'm, I'm like, like, did Lord Loxley? Did Lox- you get this effing leather manufacturer's list under false pretenses involving my spirit animal, Winston <laughs> Churchill? <laughs> right. Anyway, Harry announces to the staff that, oh, Mr. Churchill will be here soon. Uh, but Plunkett, old buzzkill Plunkett comes over and she whispers to Harry, who then announces, uh, after a somber moment of acting talent, <laughs> that Churchill won't be coming because Germany has invaded Belgium. Oh. Yeah. He you gives know, Rose a look. This is basically just that Downton Abbey garden party scene set inside a store. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, Blankensop would have talked Churchill into coming. I'm just saying. <laughs> Free Blankensop. <laughs> uh, outside, Harry and Monsieur Leclerc look at the uh, the map of the British Empire, which uh, Agnes finally did manage to work in. She was really into the maps. She was, and it, it worked out fine. Monsieur Leclerc says that he doesn't think it will look the same for much longer. Interesting scene too, because Monsieur Leclerc is French and Harry is American. Mm-hmm. Um. And Harry says, you know what? You may be right. Let's get a drink. Although... Remember what happened the last time you had a drink? <laughs> well... Gordon dropped that car. <laughs> where is where is Gordon? It's, that's an excellent Does point. Does he have a car? <laughs> is, it, is it safely on the ground? <laughs> yeah. Also, funnily enough, the map didn't actually change that much after World War I. After that's, World War II, yeah. yes. But yeah. Th- not so much. Harry and Monsieur Leclerc go to Delphine's, where she welcomes them. Uh, Harry asks about the state of Rose's investment, but Delphine says she couldn't take it. Harry says that Delphine's not what he expected, and I don't understand why he's saying that in this episode where they have had zero interaction. Right. It is... It's crammed in a little bit. Anyway, she offers to be friends, and he offers to be friends, and she accepts. So it's like, did he think she was trying to, like, bamboozle his wife? Because I think that he's a savvy enough operator to recognize a fellow savvy operator. Right, right. Who realizes that the real, you know, Selfridge honeypot is not in his wife investing, but it's in him. You know what it is? This is what he was planning to say to Delphine at the end of that last night. Except there was that whole misunderstanding and he stormed off. What a baby. That's what it is. So uh, Harry toasts Henri and says, oh, to my new creative director. And Henri's like, have you not noticed the working relationship? She gave me a shit. (laughs) It is all very sexy. Uh, Anyway, Henri says he can't come back permanently. He has as a business, which is very ominous. Yeah. I'm I'm very confident that's illegal. Uh, Delphine then announces to everyone that war has been declared, yeah. and then some drunk guy who personifies every guy that got killed during World War One, <laughs> right, uh, gets up on a table and begins singing "Rule Britannia." Everybody joins in, and as we've already established, yeah. somewhere in Yorkshire, a village fate falls silent. Yes, war were declared. Good God, y'all. <laughs> what is it good for? Many seasons of quality TV. <laughs> That's right. As we are slowly and involuntarily proving. Indeed. <laughs> uh, you solid episode. Yeah, really, absolutely. As we said before, we're really, uh, we're really impressed. Eyeliner's up his game. Yeah. Despite a couple of questionable choices. Yeah, but only a couple. 
Which is... We'll take it. Yeah, we will take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll be back with our recap of Season 2, Episode 4, mm-hmm. uh, just as soon as we can. That's right. A.K.A. in a week. <laughs> yeah. But until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs luncheon out.